climate change, forest fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, you name it. It seems like every week there's news of a new disaster, and many of them impact veterinary professionals and pet parents all around the globe. This week, we're going to talk about what you need to do to be prepared in the event of catastrophe and how we can communicate with our clients to help keep them safe and calm during these horrible tragedies. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and viewfinders. You have heard podcasts where we've talked about a fire hurricane here at the beach. Becky and I have actually broadcast from when we've been evacuated <laughs> during hurricanes. We've talked a lot about natural disaster and catastrophes in the past few years, but this week we want to focus on sort of the acceleration in these storms around the world and how it impacts the veterinary profession. But before we get into that very important conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, really, this conversation began with the most recent tropical storm to affect the East Coast. Tropical storm, and it was briefly a hurricane right before landfall, Elsa. And so unlike the uh, Disney character Elsa (laughs) being nice and sweet, this one actually caused millions and millions of dollars of damage up and down the East Coast. And Becky, you found a story where some of our colleagues were directly impacted. Yeah, several people actually reached out to me um, knowing that the Veterinary Giving Tree tries to help in in situations of emergencies. Um, This isn't something we're actually able to help with, so I wanted to make sure we got the information out to all of you guys. Um, Unfortunately, the Port Royal Veterinary Hospital in South Carolina was destroyed when it was hit by a tornado during ELSA. Um, And... It's uh, unfortunately a, a really tragic situation for that hospital, and we, we know it's difficult times for everybody, and, and these guys definitely could use your thoughts right now. Um, they do have a Venmo account, and you can find their information on the South Carolina Association of Veterinary Technicians Facebook page. They do have a PayPal, and that's just paypal.me backslash Port Royal Vet Donate. And um, they have a GoFundMe, and the code for the GoFundMe is 61147FC2, so Frank Charlie 2. Um, you guys can also mail checks to um, Attention Tornado Fund, Port Royal Veterinary Hospital, 1502 Paris Avenue, Port Royal, South Carolina, 29935. And we'll make sure we get all of that on our social media. Um, but it made us think, you know, today about... Um, making sure that our colleagues and and you guys out there listening are ready for disaster. Yeah, and certainly living here on the beautiful North Carolina coast for nearly 30 years now, you know, I've seen my fair share of storms, hurricanes, tropical storms, and so forth, and floods. And, you know, we've been directly impacted, you know, with our clinic, our homes, you know, our schools, everything. Uh, In fact, one one year, uh, not too long ago, you guys might recall, my kids missed uh, five weeks of school back, you know, around 2018, 2019, uh, due to severe damage to hurricanes in our area. So we're kind of accustomed to the preparation that go into place when it comes to these things. But, you know, Becky, it seems like every week now there's a new raging forest fire out west, right? There's historic flooding in Germany and Europe. I mean, and I think too often when we look at damage, we do say, oh gosh, that's sad. So many people lost their homes. But sometimes we forget that 
vet clinics got, you know, damaged or are consumed in fires and floods and that pet parents are displaced and pets are injured or killed. I mean, there's a lot more going on sometimes than just what's reported on the news. Oh, I mean, everything, it's like that butterfly effect, right? So we know that if a local area is impacted, then, you know, the surrounding areas are going to absorb that impact. And so in a time where we're already overrun with patients and so many clinics are not able to take new clients, I'm worried about where more than likely hundreds of clients are going. Um, I don't know Port Royal very well. I don't know how close the nearest town is. Um, all of that is very uh, upsetting. And then you kind of just think about, you know, everything kind of getting put on the back burner, right? And I know that that's probably not the most important thing, but I'm thinking to myself, if I lost my home in a tornado, the last thing I'm going to be thinking about is annual prevention, uh, monthly prevention, uh, you know, just right. I'm going to be really distracted with my life. And so there's a, there's a real big ripple effect that goes on here. Um, and then, of course, our colleagues are out of work. Right. That's a really good point. And I think one of the things, viewfinders, that I've noticed, you know, again, growing up here in a hurricane area, is that the attitude of the general public, specifically pet parents, pet loving public, has changed dramatically. I mean, 30 years ago, honestly, we'd round up what we could after a storm, you know, but that wasn't a big story. Today, when a building collapses in Florida, you know, people have seek legal action to stop recovery efforts in order to try to save pets or look for pets. I mean, so that's a huge change. You see where I'm going with that, Becky? I mean, it's like, you know, what once was kind of just a back end of the story little coda, suddenly now it's forefront. People are saying, wait a second, did you get the pets out of the fire, right? Did you rescue those dogs from the rubble? Like that's kind of the lead story in many instances. Oh, sure. And there's nothing better, right, than like a, you you hear so frequently, you know, like fire or emergency personnel performed CPR (laughs) and got the dog back to life or, you know, they'll show up at the emergency hospital and emergency personnel placed a catheter or administered oxygen, done the best that they can to save a pet. I think everybody, you know, the value, um, emotional value of pets is um, becoming more and more, you know, present day and it's more ubiquitous with everyone. And so, um, I think that as much as we think about family and children, we think about the pets. Right. And so right now when we're recording this, it's, uh, getting toward the end of July. And so we are in hurricane season on the East coast. Obviously right now there's a massive fire raging in on the West coast in Oregon specifically. And so, you know, this is a good time to make sure you've got a disaster preparedness plan in place for your clinic. And I think that today, something that you want to add to that list, in addition to all the physical preparations that you make for your facility is also your like social media outreach. How do you reach out to your clients to let them know about what's happening, what may be happening to you, what there may be interruptions in service, you know, how can they get medications? What about emergency care? I mean, I think, Becky, we live in this world now where people sort of demand access to that information. And like this Port Royal, you know, I'd love to sort of see how that story plays out. Like, how are they communicating with the the community? As you mentioned, where do those hundreds of clients go or thousands of clients go to seek care? We already are dealing with a system that's overwhelmed all over the country, you know, waiting for three, four hours just to get in. And suddenly now it's like, wow, we just removed an entire large vet clinic, you know. So, so Becky, let's, let's start top line. You know, what, what are the things that you think every clinic should should do regardless of where they are midwest northeast southwest you know southeast like we are what should they do to make sure that they've got some semblance of a disaster plan in place 
Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is pr practice. And, and I guess that is after the plan is in place. But I think one of the biggest things people forget about is that whatever you do and you have in place, it shouldn't be dusty in a drawer um, that, you know, people read through when they're hired and then it's never discussed again. And, you know, somebody has been there for 25 years and it just doesn't, you have people all over the place. So I think one of the biggest things we miss when it comes to being prepared and being set for the worst within a clinic is is practicing those scenarios and as i also think um as much as we this is a place where i uh, don't get mad at me y'all but like we criticize our clients for going to google right but our tendency is probably going to be go to google and say like <laughs> how do you make a disaster plan right. maybe reach out to the experts there are some really really great folks in the industry um avma has resources um, they have disaster planning resources on their website, and then you can find specialists to help within your area. Our AHA approved clinics already probably have these written out. Um, and a lot of times you can crowdsource. So a lot of other clinics are probably going to be willing to share what they do and the experiences that they have had because you guys, emergency, we are not immune. They happen every day. And, you know, that's a great starting point there, Becky. You need to check with your insurance provider to see what you're covered against because you may need to shore up your protection right now. And I know you're probably saying, look, that's not my job. I'm not the manager. I'm not the owner. But if you're a tech and suddenly you're interrupted, your your place of work can't pay its bills and can't get back to work, you're going to be out of work. So I think it's really great reminder just to say, first step, see what insurance is going to cover. Do I need to change my coverage or something? And that's sort of one of the major impacts for Port Royal. I guess there is a really large percentage of the insurance deductible that's due upfront for them to go ahead and get that insurance money or they lose a large, not obviously due upfront, but there's a large chunk of it that they will lose going toward building their, rebuilding their hospital. Oh, and so yeah. um, not only check your benefits for coverage, but realistically, can you pay your deductible? And would it be more reasonable to pay more on a monthly to yearly basis? Um, again, we're not immune, so look at it. If this realistically happened, could I afford this deductible enough to actually move forward with the policy? Yeah, and one thing too, just again, having practice, own businesses, own homes here on the coast, I can tell you, your coverage can change and you don't even know it. I mean, so like oh, yeah. once a year, I know that Laura, my wife, really does go through our policies because suddenly it's like, oh yeah, your wind and hail coverage changed slightly because of something. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, yeah, oh, yeah, we sent you a, a, an email about it or whatever. It's like, well, you know, and life gets so busy, Becky, you don't pay attention. It seems like minor changes, you know, but regardless, you need to make sure right now that your coverage is what you want it to be. Because like Becky said, here's a disaster. And suddenly it's like, wait, we have to pay how much? $50,000 just to get started with our insurance. And for a lot of clinics, that can be, you know, that, that can be a challenge. Oh, I mean, I, I can't even think about having to come up with $50,000 right now off the top of my head. So for a clinic, I imagine it, and again, you're talking about coming off of COVID, right? You're coming right, off of talking right. about crazy times and, you know, a lot of people forget, but at the beginning of COVID, way back at the beginning of 2020, we were talking to a veterinarian in Australia about the terrible bushfires right, that they were right. having, right? And that how it was affecting their animals and livestock. And so I think the kind of um, secondary push to that is looking around your area. So my next question is, what does it look like for the shelters, the daycare facilities, and the boarding facilities? And as a veterinary clinic in the local area, do you have an obligation to help support them in having disaster plans and making partnerships to make sure that the pets have somewhere to go and be safe and taken care of? 
Wow, that's a really good point. The other thing, too, is that I think there, there are a lot of people that are listening today, Becky, and they're going, not here, won't happen to me, never has before. Eesh. And I think you got to kind of take a step back and go, it's not like it ever was before. I mean, climate change is real. We are seeing the impacts around the globe. Uh, and, and so even if you're tucked away quietly in the middle of America, there may be flooding. There may be changes in weather patterns that lead to snowstorms. There may be forest fires. I mean, I don't know, drought. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's something that could potentially impact you. So I think no matter where you are, no matter what the historical precedent may be, you do owe it to yourself to just take a step today and go, okay, what's our insurance look like? Do we have a plan? What about, you know, again, power backup? You know, what about supply interruption? Do we have enough stuff on hand to get us through, you know, a few days or a week? I know that that here at the beach, you know, all those years, we made sure we stocked, you know, especially this time of year, Becky, a little bit extra of some of those really life-saving uh, drugs that we had to have on hand. Anesthetics, you know, corticosteroid treatments, you know, certain antibiotics. We just made sure, yeah, make sure you just keep an extra bottle there because it is September and we're about to, you know, probably have an interruption due to the storms because you know even if we weren't directly impacted by a hurricane becky if it hit florida or something well that would disrupt the whole supply chain in many instances sure or worst case scenario you grab that bottle and you mail it down there to the disaster response teams that need those types of donations there's always right, something point. to do with whatever you're prepared for and I mean, okay, to be fair, I'm a veteran spouse, so preparation is like a thing. My husband actually, you know, always kind of secretly hopes for a couple days of hurricane because it's like all his favorite foods that never <laughs> perish, you know, all the Twinkies, all the junk food. Um, but you're right, you need to be prepared. And that's not just in the drugs, but also in the food supply for anything that's hospitalized there. Um, if you are a provider for care or, a, you know, a place that you know clients will shelter their animals, are you prepared to take care of all of them if people can't get back in? A lot of um, you will remember Florence for us here in North Carolina. Yep. We had whatever they, I don't know, they decided it was 500 year flooding, 1,000 year flooding, I don't know, but it was people's houses up to the roof where they had never been flooded before. They were super unprepared for that, as were the clinics around them. And, um, you know, again, that overflow of, um, pets and people into the different areas everyone kind of needs to be prepared for what happens and can potentially happen around them um and i think those are i guess those are really really great points about like extra meds and extra flea and tick prevention and, and monthly preventatives um it scares me a little though when i think about the limits that we now have and the limitations on um a lot of the drugs as it is and you know how we can kind of um stash things away in a safe way for for our clinics. Right. I mean, I mean, right now, of course, phenobarbital shortages. I mean, we've talked about that on the, on the podcast before. I mean, there's a lot of drugs that are mission critical, so to speak, yeah. and we have to, you've got to be prepared because you don't know what kind of interruptions. The other thing, too, that Becky mentioned, viewfinders, I'll just kind of rem remind you, is that the area she was talking about is a county well inland, okay? So it's an adjacent yeah. county to where we live, Bladen County, and they really don't ever have direct impacts of hurricanes. They have bad winds and rains and all that sort of thing, but this particular storm brought a lot of rain and then some dams were breached some you know areas of rivers flooded over their their banks and then it 
flooded out actually the um, transformer-like thing where the, all the electricity goes through or whatever for that area. And so they were out of electricity for like weeks and weeks and weeks, which was devastating to the economy in that area. So here's the, that issue that no matter where you are, you think, well, I don't live at the beach. I don't have the direct impacts of a hurricane. Well, this is, you know, a couple of hours inland. And yet, you know, due to heavy rains, bad luck, and then suddenly a, an electric transformer station going out, you know, wow, they were dealing with it much longer than we were. Well, and I think that's to your point that, you know, climate change is happening and we're seeing things all over the country that we have never seen in those areas before or to an extreme that we haven't. But my point to the previous statement that I kind of got lost in, so I'm glad you said <laughs> that, was then all our roads were closed. Uh, right, you know, I-40 right. getting back into town. So well after the storm was gone, I, I know a lot of you guys know um, in my area, we had a bunch of lakes wash out the roads, and so you actually couldn't even get to your house until National Guard built a dirt road around. Um, and so it, it, we weren't able to get back in. And I think that's the other thing people kind of forget about. Fires can be isolating, uh, you know, earthquakes. Right. There's, you know, there, then you have to think about, you know, people say, you know, be prepared for three days or so. But I mean, you have to realistically think, I know we prepare for at least two weeks here, um, it just personally in my house. And, um, you know, I think these long-term disasters are something that people have to be ready for. But what about the more acute disasters, right? Like, what about that in that moment? Um, you know, building being struck by lightning, right. uh, fire breaking out, you know, um, how do we get our teams ready for things that happen right then and there? That's a great point. I mean, so so I, we're talking about natural disasters, and I think that's a, a, the important thing to discuss today. But what happens if there is a fire? Like, does everybody know the ABCs, right? Yeah. You know, of your fire extinguishers. Do you even know where everybody, does everybody know where the fire extinguishers are located? So these are things that I think Becky was saying, look, you know what, you got to review this. This can't be just something you say there's a manual, you know, oh yeah, well go look in the office to see the manual on how to operate the fire extinguisher. I do <laughs> not know how to operate a fire extinguisher. I have never in my life used one. Like I, I know the concept of it, but I have right. never actually opened one up and used it. So oh. I feel like I am a perfect example of that, that like in the moment I'm going to be reviewing the directions. Oh, Becky. So what we did at our clinic, so you had to replace the fire extinguishers like every couple of years, yeah. you know, you had to get it inspected and the, and the people would say, oh, this one's got to be replaced. We would take all of those. And so typically about every year or two years, we would go out into the, the yeah. yard, the dog yard and let everybody pull the pin on it and squirt. Did you set a fire first? <laughs> no, we didn't do the fire, <laughs> but we did at least let you handle it, you know, so yeah, you felt it or whatever. Because I will tell you, viewfinders, and you can tell me your experiences online, but they've got a little bit of a kick to it. Like, I remember the first time I fired off one of those big ones, it kind of had a kick to it. And I was like, whoa, okay. So, yeah, it is good to familiarize yourself with that. I mean, again, know where the fire extinguishers are. Do you have a sprinkler system? If so, how does it engage? Do you have to test it? All that kind of stuff. You know, how do you take care of, of any of those little emergencies in the clinic that could happen? You know, I, I again, we could, it's immeasurable. It's innumerable. It's infinite the number of possibilities. But, you know, there are certain things that you should sort of cover. And I like what Becky said there, you know, hey, what happens if fire breaks out in your in your clinic? Because let's face it, we've got combustible, you know, all types of combustible articles, liquids, gases, you know, under pressure that, that could pose a, a real hazard. And what about patients under anesthesia in uh, the meantime? Yeah, right. You know, right. so we always have to think about what's the contingency plan when we have patients. Um, you know, when Port Royal was hit, 
um, with their tornado, we actually spent that same morning in our stairwell because we had tornado over yeah. our house. Yeah. And the local, what, a girl that works, works at a local clinic texted or, or had messaged and said that they were in the basement of their clinic, which basements, first of all, are super rare around here. So right. I'm glad they even have one. But also I was thinking like, well, heck, I hope they weren't in surgery or do they have them on an E-tank downstairs and they're trying to finish things up. And so um, I think it's a very realistic thing to think about what you're going to do if in the middle of everything you've got to abort mission. Yeah. And, and Becky, I have been in surgery, like a, probably a lot of viewfinders, uh, where the power went out, you know, so you oh, gotta yeah. make sure you've got to have surgery lights on backup. You've got to have some way to, to sort of do that, you know, I, some get through the surgery and, and so forth. But, uh, uh, fortunately I don't remember ever, ever been anything more than like a spay or neuter, but you know, it has happened. And regardless, these are just those little prep things. But Becky, I also kind of want to spend the, the last uh, part of today's discussion about, you know, communicating with clients because like I, I was talking to a vet who's out west and they're not directly impacted yet by this massive Oregon far, uh, fire but you know he was saying look we're 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 prepared, right? You know, and there's a, a clinic in, in California that I spoke with a few weeks ago that they're also having, you know, these wildfires there. And and they're all like saying, you know, at what point do we reach out to our clients? When do we close our clinics? And obviously I don't have those answers. Nobody does. But, you know, Becky, I think what's our responsibility at like communicating with our, our pet parents, the community? I think it's more information is always better. So even if the only thing you really have to say is we're on standby, we don't know when we're yeah. going to close, we're ready to close, um, here's what you need to do to be prepared. And I actually think that this starts well before the disaster. Like, I think this starts at puppy and kitten visits. I think... I think for our exotic animals, this is something we really need to be coaching our clients on. What are you going to do if you need to exit your house with this terrarium in a, in a hurry? Um, it is something we should be coaching our clients on well before we're facing these incidents. And this is something you should be leveraging your social media, leveraging your educational opportunities for your clients, you know, outside of packets of paper and information to help them understand and to be thinking ahead about these things. Because number one, having a plan ahead saves all everything in the moment. But two, just knowing what you're going to do can sometimes override that fight, flight, or freeze that you have and, and the situation sort of unravels. So um, I think it's our responsibility to educate our clients before it ever happens and then to just keep them updated with as little information as we might have because it's better than radio silence. Yeah, that's a really good point. Just let them know, hey, we're aware of the situation. We are taking all precautions and we will keep you posted. I think that goes a long way with the with the public for sure. They kind of know what's going on. The other thing too is like, you know, uh, talking about like, you know, heat waves and just massive, you know, changes in, in temperature, both hot and cold that accompany climate change. You know, I think back to the, to the hot car video. I mean, that was my feeble attempt back in the day to say, hey, you know, things are getting hot. Don't leave your pet in a car. But, you know, I've seen some really good social media posts from places in Arizona and New Mexico, of course, they're just getting hammered with heat waves right now. And they're warning people about the pavements, you know, they're warning people about not leaving your dog outdoors, you know, in the, in the sun and, and so forth. I think this is, these are great opportunities to talk about companion animal care because, you know, Becky, the other thing too that happened was, you know, tens of millions of pets were adopted by many first time pet parents this year, and they don't really think about these things yet, you know? So it's like, well, I know it's hot outside, but we're just going to go for a quick walk around the block, you know, meanwhile, yeah. the pay, the pavement's 125 degrees, which, you know, obviously is not compatible with very nice uh, pad health. So, 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And that communication is essential. I mean, like, it, it, do your clients know what the policy is just in general? Do you know over, over one thing or another? Do you have it spelled out somewhere that they can learn more about it? And then are you providing those educational resources? I just, you know, we talk about it all the time that I, I think we need to get in front of it a little bit better. And disaster planning, whether it just be, you know, and, and we don't want to branch off too far, but whether this is um, providing resources for people who could potentially be in domestic violence situations, to people who need emergency sheltering because of disasters, potential homelessness, you know, you, you want to have the resources to pet-friendly homeless shelters, every single resource in your community that you could possibly have, and be the center of that for your clients. Yeah, because if you're not the center of viewfinders, then again, we're just right back to internet searches and yeah. Lord only knows what kind of advice they'll be getting from a, a Facebook group or something like that. I mean, you know, and we laugh about it, but it's true because if we don't fill the void, someone else will fill that vacancy quickly. And sometimes it's great information and helpful and other times it can be less than helpful and maybe harmful. Uh, Becky, as, as we kind of finish up today, I, I'm, I am glad you touched on, on another type of emergency that just bears briefly mentioning today because I think it, it really should have a standalone episode. Uh, and that is, okay, what about those emergencies like when there's someone in your clinic who might be in danger? So a client who comes in who maybe is being abused or trafficked or something like that. I mean, Becky, it's something that you should have a conversation with your team about, I think. There's like a pretty popular, you know, video that went around on the internet that was a veterinary team who the client, it was a husband or a man and a woman and a dog, and the woman went to the bathroom and, you know, on her way back, mm -hmm. she handed a note that was like, call the police. Right. I, he's kidnapped me. And the veterinary team handled it amazing. I right. mean, like amazing, but that was instinctual and you could tell. I doubt they had a policy and a plan for that. Right. So I think even just touching on those types of information, how often are you guys scrambling for something to talk about in the monthly meeting <laughs> that isn't normal, just crying <laughs> in the blues, right? Right. What are we going to do if this happens? How would you react? What's the policy? Hand over the money. Don't get shot. You know, right. all those things right. that we talk about. Yes, give them the key to the drug cabinet. Do not die trying to defend anything in this clinic, right. whatever it is. Um, having that conversation and, you know, even if a person, you know, I've been in the clinic and had people pass out, clients pass out, staff pass out, sure. get yeah. really hurt. Um, and if we don't have a plan for that chaos, um, it, yeah. it can really fall apart quickly. Yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, we've all been there. I've, I've resisted two people, uh, you know, because same thing, you know, just fell out heart attacks in the in the lobby. And, and yeah. so luckily we had, you know, a thumbnail of a plan for that kind yeah. of eventuality. We, we had an emergency kit, so it was kind of, we had an Ambu bag, which I think everybody should probably have one of those sure. in their clinic. It's just easy to do. Uh, but regardless, you know, these are conversations that we think are really important to have. And, and like Becky said, you know, there's a whole bunch of eventualities that could happen, right? But, you know, if you cover some of the big ones, what happens if somebody comes in demanding money, demanding mm -hmm. drugs? What if somebody says, I'm being uh, abused or threatened, right? You know, those are simple conversations. Obviously, there's no easy answers to them. But you know what I think, Becky, what I've always, why I've always stressed staff training so much was because that I knew that, you know, we could kind of cover 80% of, of life, you know, and yeah. then the 20% that fell outside those boundaries, we at least had something to start with. And it may all fall apart very quickly. You know, once you go down that route, but at least you had a start and you didn't just run away or throw up your arms. So I think this is another good opportunity to train your team to discuss it. And and more importantly, just like Becky said, this is just something that as a team you want to kind of gel around because 
it, it, it could happen. I mean, there could be a, a forest fire in your ear. There could be a drought that affects your clinic. You know, there could be a, a natural disaster that, again, we just think that if you start to plan ahead, you'll be better prepared than if you have no plan at all. Yeah, we just want to see that. You know, our, our colleagues at Port Royal have been affected, and, and we're all affected when that happens. And so we find it, you know, worthwhile to, you know, just send out that reminder to our listeners who have either maybe heard it before but aren't thinking about it. And I know you guys have lots of time for disaster planning in your clinics, I know. But make it a priority because we don't want to see anything bad happen to you guys. And, you know, viewfinders, this is one of those stories, for me at least, where I know there's like one person that needed to hear this podcast today. And so that person, I'm going to say, yep, just go ahead, do it. You know you need to do it. Make that plan. Start talking to your team about these these things. And you know what? It's going to change everything because you're going to be that much better prepared. Uh, And hopefully it never happens. But, you know, you're going to feel better. But so viewfinders, what are you doing to prepare for catastrophe? How do you handle natural disasters? How do you communicate with your community about impending issues? We really want to hear what steps you've found to be effective because that can only help our colleagues around the world. What are the crazy emergencies you guys have faced? I know I've read everything from cars crashing into buildings to people crashing into buildings. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder, and you can subscribe, leave a comment, and five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, and we hope you all are safe and sound and free of any of these natural disasters or calamities that we've talked about. Until next week, we can't wait to talk to you again. Bye. Bye.